0: This video has been so hard to figure out how to make because you are not supposed to talk about it. You're not supposed to argue with it. When you get canceled, you're just supposed to sit down and take it. So today, I'm going to be talking about the time that I got canceled, and I hope to God that it will free me and that it will also free you to not be so dang afraid of cancellation. So today I'm going to talk about the time that I got canceled from the ex-evangelical community. This is important for me to talk about, not to drudge that shit up because, believe me, no one wants to go there anymore. I'm really going to be talking about how my mind became completely inundated with other people's voices, with having to assess everyone's comments and figure out, what I'm supposed to say, what I'm allowed to say, how I'm supposed to behave, how I'm supposed to react to everything, and how exhausting, non-intuitive, and hurtful that's been to me as a person, as a spiritual being, and within my creativity. So we're just going to jump into it. I'm just going to tell you what happened. I am a woman who moved to L.A., 19 years ago or so, maybe more, to become an actress. When I was little, all I ever wanted to do was make movies, make art, and I was also always a writer. I loved going into my bedroom and writing these little novels and exploring my creativity in every way. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this because so many of us, when we're young, are Built with these dreams and desires and goals inside of ourselves. And when you're a child, I see it in my own child, you are behaving completely intuitively in the world. You're exploring those things and you're at a point where no one has shamed you yet. Ideally, if you're in a good household, if you're around people that are supporting you and your aspirations, that was a situation I was in. So I had a good 12 years of privilege where I got to be a little actress in my community. I was auditioning for roles that people thought I couldn't get. I would get them. I was having a good ass time just being me in my power Just really feeling like I was exercising and using my gifts in every way. I loved it. This is like my inner child. That's who she is. A joyful, playful being. I think a lot of you will relate to this idea. There comes a certain point in, I think, all of our lives where... Someone will either see you shine. Ironically, it can be an adult. For me, it was an adult. When I was in seventh grade, I was the star of my school play. I'll show you a clip. The year after that, I was the star in the next play, and one of the girl's mothers really had us pitted against each other. And she started to really tear me down. And the problem was that her and I were sharing this role together. We were both playing Dolly in the play Hello, Dolly. So very quickly, the mother would start... Tearing me down, making me second-guess myself, asking me, like, did you even learn the lines? She would go to the director, talk shit about me behind my back, say that I was doing X, Y, or Z wrong, all for the purpose of, like, I guess, satiating her own insecurity, her own scarcity mindset about her daughter not being good enough or me shining more than her daughter. Instead of just addressing the issue, which is uplift your daughter, help her shine, her tactic was to help diminish me and to help dull my shine. That story, that same narrative, has played in my life over and over and over again. And as a woman, any women listening, I'm sure so many of you experience this too. So many women will see another woman shining, and that will trigger something in her that instead of inviting you, the person viewing it, into shine more yourself. You are prone to get in the comments section and figure out any way that you can to tear that person down. People make it like a sport on the internet. I think it's gross. I've never participated, and I really think you shouldn't either. We can get all into that later. So fast forward, if you want my whole freaking journey, I wrote an entire book about it called On Her Knees, but long story short... While I was an actress in L.A., pursuing acting, modeling, comedy, all of those things, just being an artist within my own right, I was also reckoning with this idea that I grew up as an evangelical Christian. So I was 12 Interestingly, the same age that I was when this woman started tearing me down in my acting and telling me I wasn't good enough, around that age in my development, I was also being told that my sexuality was wrong, that my desire to have sex was evil, that being gay was a sin all of that shit that we talk about ad nauseum on this channel. So bear in mind, I am just a creative person, a writer, an actor, a comedian, all of those things. This was the life that I was pursuing in LA. This is why I moved here in the first place. But I started thinking about what if I wrote a book about my experiences in evangelicalism because I was really starting to reckon with how it had hurt me. I wrote the entire book. I was sending it to publishers. I kept getting this message. We love this content, but there's no audience for it. So I go on YouTube to prove there's an audience. I'm looking for gay-affirming Christians, sex-positive Christians, thinking, surely people are talking about this. There must be a community of millions of people addressing this. Instead, I was horrified to find the exact opposite, which was... All the creators I've called up before, Girl Define, Paul and Morgan, et cetera, spewing out the same toxic theology that I had spent over a decade clawing my way out of trying to free myself from. So one night, I'm sitting around a dinner table with my beautiful improv team, Fruits and Nuts, in Los Angeles, and I'm like, I have this crazy idea. I came from this upbringing. And I think that I want to go talk about it. I had mega reservations because in the acting community, a lot of people used to think this was the kiss of death. Like you had to choose one path or another. Like if you wanted to be a writer, you couldn't be an actor. If you wanted to be a social media person, you couldn't be a model. Everything is completely different now. But at the time, it felt like a massive risk. It felt like I might be moving away from what I really want in life, which is to be an artist, in order to speak out, about this thing that had hurt me so much so when i first uploaded my very first youtube video i was so scared on multiple levels after the first episode went out i had people in la being like what is brenda doing this is embarrassing why is she talking about religion i had people as expected in the religious space being like you're a whore this is disgusting why are you saying this but I intuitively knew as an artist, as a spiritual being, as a person, that it was really important to say something because I know as a writer, which i have been doing since the MySpace era, that if I was going through something, there would be people that were going through it too. Maybe not the exact same thing, but that if I said something that was true to me, that it would resonate with others. So... It was scary. It felt like a huge risk. It felt really dorky, too. I'm like, I'm not ready to be on YouTube putting myself out there like this. But my final straw, God bless her, was this YouTube creator called Emily Wilson. And she was sitting in her living room. She's got her husband. She, I don't know anything about her life, but she seemed like she's in a pretty privileged position to say this statement. She said something along the lines of, God is my birth control. I trust God with my fertility. I, as a spiritual person, completely respect and honor that you are allowed to believe that God is in control of your fertility if that's what you believe. However, the social irresponsibility of saying that to her audience of hundreds of thousands of people made me shake with rage because Living in LA, growing up, visiting other countries, I saw a variety of different human experiences and I knew that that was not a valuable thing to say to everybody. Not everyone has the finances, the wherewithal, the partnership to just trust God with their fertility. That's a whole other video. I've made plenty of videos about that, but I'm telling you that was my breaking point where I was like, no, doesn't matter how embarrassing this YouTube thing is, I have to do it. Long story short, YouTube became its own beast for me. Now I'm sitting in a place where I'm like, "Uh, I'm a YouTuber and a social media person. FYI, right before I got on YouTube, I had been off of Instagram for nine months and I loved it. I loved never looking at Instagram. I felt mentally well. I felt clear headed. I loved it. But as soon as I got on YouTube, I recognized it as the tool that it is, a tool to reach people, a tool to let people know what I was doing. So I tried my best to lean into it. Here's where I get to the sticky, complicated portion of the story. When I first uploaded those videos... I was coming from a place of my traditional perfectionism that I had practiced within the Christian church and, frankly, throughout my whole life. So I was always the good girl. I got called to the principal's office one time when I was like nine years old, and I was bawling my eyes out. I hate being in trouble (laughs) to this day. I still work on that. So I knew I was going to start talking to Christians again, and I really geared myself up for that. And I was like, all right, let's be perfect. Some of the moves I made were I looked and Googled myself and asked for every person who had a nude photo of me or a compromising photo of me of any kind to remove the photos so that people wouldn't be able to diminish me or be like, oh, look, she's just some naked girl on the Internet. And this was half good and It's kicking me in the ass now, but it came from a good place because the perfectionism bit was bad for me as a person, but the intention was that I didn't want my message to not be able to be heard by Christians who are still in that culture because there were obstacles in place for them to believe that I am who I say that I am. So I didn't want to give out a message about being pro-choice or being pro-gay and have people show naked photos of me and be like, don't listen to her. Or I didn't want people to hear me curse. I didn't want to be like, fuck Christianity, because that's a really good cue for a Christian person to be like, she's not a Christian. All these surface things that people stuck in conservative Christianity put value on and determine whether or not you are who you say you are. All of that said, that felt intelligent, that felt right, that felt intuitive, and I'm glad I did it that way because I made myself palatable to a lot of people who otherwise might not have been able to hear my message. However, I have now been on YouTube for like four and a half, going on five years, and that perfectionism and that strict, like, I have to be perfect and I have to do everything perfectly has come to bite me in the ass really hard to the point that I have been finding it so difficult to just let my hair down and be who I am. I've been talking to a lot of friends about this, and they've been saying, look, your content is good. I love what you're saying, but like, where are you? And the thing I know I'm holding back is just... Little pieces of myself that frankly I fucking love, my sailor mouth, my sense of humor, my sarcasm, my righteous anger in certain places. I have been holding all of these back and stifling myself because I started catering my work to making sure that I was palatable and that I was acceptable to everyone. So fast forward, everything's going grand. I even look back at my original photo for God is Gray with me as a saint and think, oh my God, I really like manifested that. People treated me like I was a saint, like I could do no wrong. People defended me as if I was always on the right side of things. And That always freaked me out. I always said, please don't have me on this pedestal. Please don't consider me a saint because I know for damn sure that I am not perfect. And as a matter of fact, I was really wanting for everyone to just feel like, instead of in the church community where you had to be perfect, 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 that you could come to God is Gray, let your hair down and be yourself and ask questions that you're afraid to ask or say something and then realize, oh, that was the wrong thing to say. I offended someone and apologize for it and move forward. That's what this community was about. And the wild thing is is that as I encouraged everyone else to let their hair down, to ask the sticky questions, to make mistakes and forgive themselves, I was simultaneously, quietly, I didn't even know it was happening really, regressing back into little angel baby Brenda, who was doing her best to survive in the evangelical church. I didn't even realize how perfectionism had again reared its ugly head and gotten its claws in me until I got canceled in the ex-evangelical community. I will not be giving details about this because you can research it online. You'll read things that are true. You'll read things that are not true at all. You can decipher that for yourself. Point being, it got to this point where we were all meant to be perfect All over again. I think a lot of you are recognizing this that we came out of this culture that told us how to think, act, behave. I mean, when I say think, I mean think. People really going above and beyond to check us in every way to make sure that we are in line with what that culture is telling us to be. The same thing started happening in parallel, which, by the way, the more I've thought about it, doesn't surprise me at all. You have people coming out of toxic religious spaces. A lot of the people you follow in the ex-evangelical space are former pastors, are former leaders, are the people that actually hurt you in the first place. And there's nothing wrong with that. I am so all about, people reforming, changing their ways, making amends. I am really grateful that people are coming to terms with how they have hurt others. But it is no surprise that all of us who were indoctrinated into that perfectionism, into that culture where we all had to be one group think, one group mind, or else we'd be ostracized, Not a surprise that it ended up mirroring itself exactly in the ex-evangelical community. And that's what happened to me. Beautiful people, are you looking for your next podcast obsession? You'll be sure to find it in the new season of Witnessed, Mystic Mother, and we've got a great listen directly from the show to share it with you. The story follows the rise and fall of the Phoenix Goddess Temple, which for years claimed to offer seekers healing through sensual touch. But when an outsider exposes what's happening behind closed doors, the temple unknowingly welcomes a new kind of seeker, undercover detectives. What some saw as a spiritual home, the state saw as a brothel, operating under the guise of religious freedom. So what happens when your religious beliefs might be against the law?
1: If you drive down 24th Street in Central Phoenix, past the car wash and the pawn shop and the fast food drive-throughs, you'll come across a nondescript office building on the west side of the road. Nestled between the bustling traffic and a wide, slow-moving canal, there's a place that many once considered an oasis.
2: When you walk in, there's a big picture of a goddess and she's standing with her legs open, I think her hands up in the air, and the sunlight was coming right through her genital area, like just big burst of light.
1: It was all dim lights and pastel colors and candles and incense and goddess statues and the sounds of falling water, little fountains and that sort of thing.
2: I think there was about eight rooms, but each room was different and had had its own name.
1: They were the colors of the chakras. The orange room was the Hindu room. The rainbow room was the Persian room. Everything was swathed in uh, crepey cloths, and it was really very serene, peaceful.
2: So there were some different areas where they go and pray. The ceiling was painted with sky, just really beautiful. The massage tables were gorgeous. They had lights underneath and lots of sheer fabric,
1: and maybe sometimes they'd twinkle. This is Rebecca Carrara. And one day in 2011, she was at the Phoenix Goddess Temple in one of those rooms with the massage table and a man. And he was kind of uncomfortable, like, what do I do? And, everything I,
2: and I talked to him for a little bit, so I made him feel comfortable. And I said, just lay on your stomach. See, what I, what I wore is like um, G-string underwear and like a sheer wrap that tied above my breasts. And I remember taking my sheer cloth off and running on his body. And I hadn't even got the oil or anything like that. And then all of a sudden um, I looked over and I saw light, like a flashlight underneath the door like going back and forth a flashlight. And I thought, who's out there? And then I heard, bam, 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 open up, police. And the guy's like, he what should I do? I said, put your
1: clothes on, put your clothes on. Five, 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 five. And then they pretty much bang the door open, on the ground, on the ground. A SWAT team enters, in full gear, guns drawn. Rebecca's pulled outside where her picture is taken. In the photo, someone's holding a white piece of paper in front of her, with her name and birthday handwritten in black marker. It looks kind of like a mugshot, but instead of a cold gray room, Rebecca's standing in the sun before a tall plant with bright red flowers. She's wearing just her sheer orange wrap around her chest. Her nails are painted bubblegum pink, and her wrists are cuffed.
2: I wasn't scared. You know, I, I do really good in emergency situations. And the one that puts the pressure on the wound or whatever. So I'm sitting in there and I'm I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to the police station, can I please go get my clothes on? And I can see far away, like camera crews, all of a sudden helicopters up above us. Details about a sting operation involving dozens of people accused of running a brothel out of a so-called religious temple.
1: Exotic stories about undercover cops, sex, spirituality, and money. We're uncovering some dirty details from the investigation of the so-called sex church. Rebecca and 17 other people are arrested that day. And that was just the beginning.
2: It sunk in later. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do some gel time.
1: So what is the Phoenix Goddess Temple? This place with the women in G-strings and the creepy cloths and apparently a SWAT team? That depends on who you ask. For some, the temple was a spiritual home. A place set apart from the rest of the world that felt validating, safe, and freeing. For the first time in my life,
0: I'm being told, by being a woman, you have your own power and you have your own beauty, and this is what it is, and you're more powerful than you ever knew. For others,
1: it was offensive. We've seen people on that front patio, bouncing up and down on
0: a rebounder, completely naked, doing airborne <laughs> yoga.
1: Sacrilegious.
0: Instead of a brothel or a house of prostitution, they called it a church.
1: And illegal.
2: Phoenix Police Department's Vice Unit concluded a six-month-long investigation into the Goddess Temple. The owners and its employees for years have engaged in acts of prostitution under the guise of religious freedom.
1: This investigation was huge. In total, almost three dozen people were indicted. The temple's founder, Tracy Elise, would face dozens of felony charges, and decades in prison. Tracy maintained the whole time that this was her religion and that the state was infringing on her First Amendment rights.
0: Hi, I'm Tracy Elise, mystic mother of the Phoenix Goddess Temple. We believe at the temple that the soul is sacred and the body is holy and that when we put the soul and the body together that we can heal ourselves and we can find peace and love and beauty in the world
1: but those in positions of power said actually this isn't a
0: valid religion
1: this was no more a church than cuba is fantasy island
0: from Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, Witnessed, Mystic Mother is available now. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to binge all episodes, or listen weekly wherever you get your podcasts. When I got excommunicated from the ex evangelical community, when people that I thought were friends were posting bullshit about me that wasn't true, all because their audiences were bullying them and saying, your silence is deafening on this issue. I got to wipe all of that away from me, step back and say, okay, I'm not even about this. I don't go to those toxic churches for a reason. I'm not going to attend these toxic events in the other space either. It's the pendulum, but it's the same exact shit that I crawled my way out of. I'm not going back. And frankly, I don't think you should either." With that said, you might be accusing me of saying you should unfollow X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to tell you something, and I've said this before. Deconstruction of any system, whether it be police, education, the medical system, religion, whatever— is painful. And I believe each one is a grieving process. If you look up the phases of grief, when I was grieving, what had happened to me in religion and deconstructing that, when I was grieving and still am grieving, what happened to me being indoctrinated into white supremacy since a little girl? It's a grieving process. Rage, pain, denial. All of the phases, and eventually you meet acceptance. Acceptance does not mean that everything is fine or that you let everything roll off of your back. Every time I see a pastor spewing toxic shit, it makes me just as (sighs) not rageful. It's not a rage I feel in my body anymore, but it's more like something that instigates me to be like, they're still talking about it, so I need to keep pushing through and I need to keep going. So that's why I'm still here. And that's why I wanted to express to you how my mind got all jumbled and messed up by allowing myself to really trust this community all over again, only to realize they're the same mean girls from church. They just have a different Instagram handle now. And I vacillated on whether or not to share these specifics because I'm not trying to come across as petty, but I do want to let everyone know that cancellation does matter it does hurt people and it is real there are people who tell me i don't know what cancellation is cancellation hurts your finances your real life etc yeah that's exactly what happened people were told to divest from me as a creator people excuse their ill and awful behavior towards me, all their assumptions about me in writing. A lot of the excuses were like, well, who cares? She's rich anyway. She's living on a cloud anyway. Like, fuck her. When in reality, one, I want to let you know that when you abuse creators, big or small, how many times I go on TikTok lately and see a beloved creator crying because they're getting broken down by their own community. They're getting hurt by the people that are following them by the comments in their comment section. These are real people you're hurting. I'm a real person too. And also, this can include your friend circle, people around you. You don't have to be a creator to know that the way people are behaving and treating one another, both online and offline, is messed up and needs to be amended. And if we're talking about mean girls, think back again to this grieving process I told you about. One of those points of grief is rage. I went through rage myself, and trust me, I was misplacing that rage all over the place. Anyone who looked or behaved like people that had hurt me in the past, I would output my rage onto them. That is very normal. I'm not out here to shame anyone for that. However, hurt people hurt people. I am not saying I'm an angel baby. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to tell you the exact opposite. But what I am saying is that when people are in that rage space, when they are out for blood, Anyone can get hurt in a space like that because those people are working from activation, they're working from rage, and they are trying to find a place to put that. So we have a lot of trauma that we are addressing coming out of the religious space. People that are still residing in that trauma are going to hurt other people. It's just what we do when we're traumatized. We either project that pain out onto other people or we ingest that pain and hurt ourselves. This is the way it works. So I got really accustomed to conservative Christians attacking me, saying I was a bad person, all of that stuff. Something brand new that started happening nine months ago is I started getting word from the ex-evangelical. Same thing. I'm garbage. I'm trash. I'm not who I say I am. There's so many things wrong with me. So as a canceled creator, there are two main takeaways that I had from this. One is the bright and beautiful side. And I think a Lot of you will be able to relate to this. As so many of us are committed to leaning into love, into spiritual growth, into self-growth, into breaking down these systems that have caused so much harm, you're gonna find that you need to shed certain people and certain attitudes. There is a place for rage and pain and all of that. But when you are in a mode of acceptance and ready to move on forward, you may find that you lose the job or that you lose a group of friends or that you get kicked out of. a certain community or alienated or shamed. And for me, I took that as such a blessing. It's so painful to be alienated from people who you once trusted, people whose books I promoted, who I had on my own podcast, people that I thought I was coming up with and we were helping people together. It was painful to see some of those veils come down and be like, oh, you? You don't have my back? Oh, you don't have my back? Pain. However, when I looked at the wreckage and saw who was standing there still, those people I hope are in my life Indefinitely, wonderful friendships, really deep people who allow me to speak my mind, to speak freely, to mull over complex ideas with them. Great. Also, that cancellation from that space freed me to not be beholden to this anti religion space anymore. I don't care to call myself an ex evangelical, I'm just a Christian. I respect good portions of what's going on in that community, but at the end of the day, onwards and upwards, ready to move on, ready to figure out how to live life as the Christian that I claim to be in love and light. And a lot of that comes with empty space where I'm looking around and being like, wow, there's more people I can invite into my life that I'm better aligned with because we're on the same page. The negative side of the cancellation, of course, is that there is this outright fallacy, and I can say it because I got canceled, that cancellation is no big deal. No one suffers. No one suffers financially. Everyone's just being a crybaby when they get canceled. Not true. There are so many creators that I see that beloved on TikTok, and all of a sudden they post a video of them crying about comments, or people say one wrong thing or use the wrong term for something, and all of a sudden they're nowhere to be found online. They've just removed themselves from the whole situation because cancellation is an avalanche. Your one hateful, presumptive comment about somebody can be one snowflake in an avalanche that truly hurts someone. Cancellation was way more painful emotionally than I ever expected it to be because one, you're losing real friendships and you're assessing what you want in this life, whether or not you deserve to have a platform, whether or not you are the person that you claim to be, which then goes back to the positive side again, of course, because I'm now learning let's shed this perfectionism. I left the perfectionism of evangelicalism, wound up in the perfectionism of ex Evangelicalism, and I'm done with both of them. I don't want to fit into either of those groups. I just want to be me, and I want you to be you. Beyond just telling you this to free myself because I realize my cancellation is such a stain on me in my own perception. I don't even know whether or not people see me a different way or believe things about me that aren't true, but that weighs on me. Now, when I meet somebody that's like, oh, I know God is gray and wants to talk to me, I'll sink inside of my body and be like, oh, do, they, do they know what's been said about me? Do they, do they know what happened? And I can't really articulate how difficult that is as a creator, as an artist, as someone who everyone expects to buckle up their bootstraps and put out a video every week. There are so many weeks where lately I have felt constipated. Sorry for a gross analogy, but truly like creatively, mentally, I just feel like I'm stopped up like I don't know how I'm supposed to proceed, what people need from me. I felt that I started from a place of perfectionism and now I'm coming into a place where I'm realizing if everyone expects this perfectionism and if I'm expected to maintain it, then I literally can't create. And I definitely can't create from an authentic place or say things that I really want to say because of that fear and that shame that haunts me. So two things, I want you to know that... I don't know. I've said this in a bunch of different ways, and I haven't been able to click into it completely yet, but I don't want to create the same way that I have been in the past because although that content on God is Grace season one is dear to my heart, super valuable, it's also just a piece of me because I was making myself palatable for people who were in Christianity. Then I proceeded to make myself palatable to people that are in Exvangelicalism. So I'm shedding all of that. I don't know what you can expect from me moving forward, except expect me to start coming out of my shell more, showing you who I am, and we'll see where it lands. Two, I want to both warn you and encourage you, warn you that these spaces online are not necessarily safe. I have promoted a lot of people, promoted a lot of people's books, told people to go follow people. And although I really value and appreciate a lot of the work in the ex-evangelical space, just bear in mind the same way that I'm telling you not to look at your pastor on a platform and decide everything he says is right or that he's a perfect person, that you shouldn't put these people on a pedestal either. We had a pedestal. We wanted an idol. We wanted a leader as evangelicals. Leave the pedestal empty. When you are encountering a new creator, when you're reading their book, when you are watching their content, do the same things I recommend you do all the time, which is embody, be in your body. Notice if they're calling you to rage, if they're calling you to shame, if they're calling you to hatred. If that's where you want to be, if that's what you want to project in the world, that's the place you're in. I don't judge you for that. But if you want to be somewhere else, same thing. Intuit the creators that resonate with you in the place where you're ready to be and behave accordingly. We are not saints, despite what this picture lied to you and said. We are human beings. And this is something conservative Christians hate that I say, but you are your own authority. If you're a Christian, you believe it's the Holy Spirit in you. If you're any other spiritual, practice. It's just about knowing that you have all the answers inside of yourself, inside of your own body. You can get information and wisdom from what people write or what people put out into the world. But anything you're looking at, reading, ingesting, whatever, process it in yourself. Determine whether or not it resonates. Take what's good for you. Ditch what doesn't and don't let anyone tell you that they are right because that, again, is the culture that we have desperately clawed our way out of. So in conclusion, I'll tell you this little thing I've been telling a lot of friends of mine, which is that I actually so desperately wanted to leave the evangelical space because I didn't feel completely resonant with all of that content anymore. And I wanted to expand my horizons, talk about other things, show you all the fullness of my being and who I am. I just didn't expect uh, to be kicked out of the door and the door to get set on fire on my way out. But regardless, I'm so glad I'm out. And I'm so grateful for what I've learned. Moving forward, I hope that I can just show you myself in more of my fullness, encourage you even more to come into your fullness, to let go of your perfectionism, to actually heal from trauma and move forward and not revel in the hatred and anger that we really deserve to walk out of because life is so much broader and richer and more beautiful when you are not carrying that baggage of shame and trauma around with you everywhere you go. So... Say a little prayer for me that I can continue walking authentically and releasing these pieces of myself that feel like I'm only going to be acceptable to the world, to the internet, to my friends if I carry perfection. Because believe me, the things that happen online actually mirror real life. I had social anxiety for the first time in my entire life, just worrying about who might know and who might think ill of me shedding all of that because I've worked too hard, you have worked too hard to shed it, and just go and be free. I want that for me and I want that for you. So I hope this has helped anyone. And if you're a canceled creator, if you have been alienated from a friend group, if you got fired from a job, whatever, I hope you will take all of this and recognize that again, You have the power within yourself. You are your own authority. You know what's right and wrong. And love is really where we are working to reside. Healness, wholeness, love. And if that's what you're about, that's what we'll be displaying here on God is Gray. So thank you so much for being here. I love you all so much. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends. Donate to my Patreon or Venmo if you can. I love you. God bless.